It's been a heavy couple of days, huh? A uh, week, couple weeks, months, year? You know, usually I feel, uh, I don't know what God's going to do today, so I'm just giving it to him to sort of use me with this message. It's one that, um, the scripture has been in my mind for a while, and it's a difficult one, <clears throat> I think, in terms of interpreting. Um, and so we'll, we'll do our best to unpack it and know that uh, pastor is actually going through the book of John as well, I believe, in uh, Bible study. So you'll eventually get to this scripture. Um, but we're going to take a look at John 15, uh, verses 1 through 8. And if you looked at the board um, coming in, the title of my message is, When God Prunes You. When God Prunes You. And the main headline for this, if you don't take anything else, it's just that if you're a Christian, you're going to get pruned by God. If you are a Christian, you will get pruned by God. Now, you're probably wondering what the word prune means, but we will get to that. So we're going to look at the scripture. I'm reading out of the ESV. It's John 15, 1 through 8. Pastor has it on the board, too, if you don't have your Bible with you. Also should look a little familiar. And it reads like this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and also prove to be my disciples. So like I said, my headline is, again, if you don't take anything out of this but this, if you're a Christian, you're going to get pruned. By God. If you take a look at this scripture, this is a... One of Jesus' final sermons that he gave. This one was taking place in the upper room before he was going to the cross. You see that Jesus uses a gardening metaphor here, right? To highlight the importance of our spiritual growth and leaning on the true vine, who is Jesus, for our strength. Now, if you think about that terminology, that was something that they would have been familiar with. Because in the Old Testament, the vine actually was commonly used as a symbol for Israel. So if you think about Israel in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament, those two are coming together. In the the Old Testament, in Psalm 89, there's just a verse that says that you cleared the ground for it, it took root and filled the land. In Isaiah 5, and I'm only going to read verse 7, but I encourage you to read verses 1 through 7, but it just says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Okay? And one that also is important is Jeremiah 2.21. And it just says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So Jesus is showing that he is the true vine, not like the wild vine, but Jesus is the ultimate source that you should be connected to. When we think about a gardening metaphor, we think about the vine um, and the grape trees. Does anybody know how the process of wine is made or understand that? It's interesting because... Jesus is is talking here to the disciples, and 
this was one of his last claims of deity in the form of I am right before he went to the cross in John. So we know that he said in John 8:58 before Abraham was what was he? I am, right? So then Jesus also during this book gives you a couple of other ways in which he tells you who he is. He tells you that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6:35. And then he tells you in John chapter 8 that he is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will always have the light of light. Again, in John 10, he says that I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And that leads us to the next one where he says in John 10 later on that he is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own and my own know me. He mentions that he's the resurrection and the life, John 11. And then John 14, you probably know this one the most, but it says, he said this to Thomas. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see Jesus is the ultimate source that we are to be connected to. But something else we see here. We see Jesus, but we also see the Father. Now, in Jesus' ministry, his ultimate was to be in submission to the Father and to do the Father's will. So we see that the Father is the vine dresser, not Jesus. Jesus is the actual vine that you're connected to. And the Father is the one who does the pruning. It involves the, you guys know what an agriculturalist or a gardener? It involves the daily task of pruning the grapevine or pruning a plant. Two things we see here is that being connected to the life giver, Jesus is eternal, right? And then being conformed into the image of a son by God, the Father. That's external on the outside. What I love about this is that we see that we have union with Christ. That means we are connected to Christ because of what he did for us on the cross. Jesus satisfied God's wrath. And because of that, we have fellowship with him. The reason that he satisfied God's wrath is because we had a broken relationship with him. And he restored it. How do you know that? Romans 3.23-26. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation, big word, but that just means satisfied God's wrath, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. And then even in, we see that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And somebody said that, whom I am the foremost, that was Paul. What we see here is a beautiful picture of union with Christ. To be connected to the ultimate source, that's the only way that we are going to survive. Now, you see two types of branches right here. Let's look at the text again. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, the question might be, he's removing branches that don't bear fruit. And what he's really talking about is those that don't, who profess to, be, to believe, but lack the fruit to show that they're genuine believers. Okay? How can this be, you might say? How on earth can you be in him, but not be of him? Now, that is a tricky question, right? But if we think about the immediate context, remember what I said earlier. This is one of his final sermons. In the upper room. So do you know who he's with? He's with the 12 disciples. 
one of them was going to betray him. So in the context of being in him, but having to be cut off, was, was Judas. Only 11 of them were really bearing fruit. Judas was among them to point out the branches that he removes. But we can extend that to those who make a profession of faith but aren't actually saved. Now you're like, whoa, 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 what does that even mean? God is doing gathering, right? He's weeding out the wheat and the weeds, but not separately. He does it together. In Matthew 13, 24 through 30, he mentions this parable of the kingdom of heaven. And he says this, that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, he came, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat, excuse me, weeds among the wheat, and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. The servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Less in gathering the weeds, you uproot the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the, that time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in, the, in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barns. So you, this reference is to people who are not believers, right? But we're not going to focus just on those folks. But I'm going to give you a couple of other scriptures there just so you can read in your own time. But in Matthew 7:15 through 23, just write it down. There's a mention of watching out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. And the scripture goes on from there. The idea of being of those branches being burned. So the branches that bear fruit are genuine believers. That's you and me. <clears throat> We're going to focus on that. So we see that God has to prune us for us to grow. So my main point is that pruning or cutting is essential for your growth and for you to bear fruit. The Bible says that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Do you guys know what the word prune means? It means to cut. Snip, snip, to trim. By cutting away dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase fruitfulness and growth. Now, the goal is to remove these unwanted branches to improve the tree's structure and direct new healthy growth. Now, I am not a gardener by any means. I do not have a green thumb. Once I was able to keep an orchid for a couple of years, and I knew what I needed to do. I knew that it took a little bit of water, so you put an ice cube in it, and then as the plant started, the branches started to turn brown, you would cut those off, and eventually I kept that thing for about four years. So that's the only thing that I can say that I've done. But I understand the concept because I have family members who garden, and my dad used to have a rose, uh, a couple of rose bushes when I was little that I remember he'd have to cut in certain times of year, and I never understood why you're cutting these beautiful flowers. Look at them. They're growing. What, why? What is the point of this? But if you don't cut that tree down, even though it's growing and beautiful and full, the whole thing could just fall apart. That there's a special process that happens when God starts trimming and pruning these bushes because what ends up happening is that they grow more. You're providing even more through those cuts, even though at the time, it's like, what are you doing? And in the same way, pruning is unique for each Christian. God does not standardize the pruning process, okay? How he prunes me may be different than how he prunes you. 
But the idea is that we would bear fruit. Now, again, the, that seems like a very church-like phrase. Bear fruit. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. According to Trilla Newbell, to bear fruit simply means to grow in character. It's to become more like Christ and reflect the fruits of the Spirit. You know what those are? They're in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, long-suffering, self-control. What am I missing? Gentleness. And that's where we come into his command to abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. Those are Jesus' words. Pruning can come in many forms. Sometimes in the forms of trials. Why? Because trials are the most obvious way that God gets our attention to show us the things, to show us things about ourselves. Oftentimes in trials we learn the most about who we are and our character, and sometimes how we re- react to things. And God uses those moments to get the glory, to ultimately show that He is good, and that He has a plan and a process for it. And we don't understand it. But often in those trials is when we see God working the most. It can be in the form of discipline. Sometimes you do stuff that you're not supposed to be doing, and there are consequences later on in life because of that. But God disciplines us not because he doesn't love us, but because that's the same way that a father or a parent would discipline their child. You're not going to let your child run all crazy around. You're trying to show them something so that they can be upstanding citizens later on in life. Training. I think about... um, 2 Timothy 2, and it's a long one, and I won't read all of it, but it just says that you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops goes on from there. But I say all this to say that God is transforming us positionally, because when you're justified, right? If you confess with your sin, it's faithful and just. And then practically because he's pruning us every day, right? So if you already confess, you're already a believer, you've already been justified to be declared righteous, and now God is continuing to work on you day by day. Remember how we talked about you need daily renewal? Still true. He's working on you day by day in the form of pruning. Also, pruning can come in the form of your own plans. Did you know that Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So planning is actually not a bad thing. Some people like to say, well, I'm just going to let God lead me wherever he's going to lead me. I'm just going to sit here. And that's not always the case. Sometimes God is calling you to make a plan for him to do something with it, for him to establish the steps. Because sometimes he might say, plan today, but tomorrow... It's still not ready, right? If we think about uh, Noah, or we think about others who had to build and build, and people are like, what are you doing? It wasn't for the benefit today. It was later on that they would understand the plan that God had. He was ordering their steps. And the same goes for you. Sometimes God has to cut away things to help us grow, things in season that may seem good, but you're too busy. You got, you're involved in too many things. They may not be bad. But they are hindering you from growing because you're just doing too much. Or God's saying, plan right now. I want you to write these things down. I want you to be planning and thinking about this because later on I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with that. 
So keep being faithful to God in that because he still is doing something. He may not be doing it right now. But he can prune your plans. The plans that you have, you know, God usually laughs at them. And there's that quote that God laughs at your plans. There's, there's some level of yes that he's not going to, you don't just hand God a piece of paper and say, I want this exactly the way I've written it down. Otherwise, we've become, a, we've asked God to be our genie and not God. But we want him to bless our plans, but in the way that he sees fit. So sometimes, like I said, God has to cut out stuff that's not right for right now. Because he's, you're not there yet. He's pruning you. He's growing you. For when the season comes, when that is right. Know that when God prunes you, that he's not done with you yet. But his pruning is a sign of his love for his children. He is setting apart his people a lifestyle of bearing fruit. Again, remember what that term bearing fruit means? You're showing those evidences. Okay? It's to grow in character. That's it. You're just growing in character, become more like Christ, and to reflect the fruits of the Spirit. To bear fruit is to grow, right? To show that growth, and it looks different for everyone. So like I said, God is transforming us, both positionally and then he's transforming us practically. So he saved you, so now he's pruning you. And where you see that, look at the, the, the verse where Jesus says, Already you are clean. Okay? It says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, how are you already clean? You're like, what, what, is, what does that even mean? If I need to be pruned, how am I, how am I clean? But if you look at John 13, and the, what I love about scripture is that you can't just take specific scriptures and just hope that you understand them. But sometimes you've got to take a look back at other places to connect them. And in John 13, 10 and 11, Jesus says, To the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Now, you are already completely clean. So, cleaning. I like what John Piper said. He basically said that we talk about cleaning or uh, cleaning away brush. When you prune, you take away something to make what's left more suitable more fit, more effective. So when you think about your own pruning, it's to make it more suitable. It's to make you more effective. So maybe he's saying God prunes you and you're already pruned, or God's cleansing you and you're already clean. We can see that in the English language. But there's something interesting here that he does say, is that in the Greek, the word prune in verses 2 and 3 are nearly the same. They're a related word. It's katharai and then katharoi. In other words, it's more plain that Jesus is making a play on words. The Father prunes, that is, he cleans the branches to make them more suitable for bearing fruit. But you are already cleaned. You've already been pruned. You're already suitable. We see in John 13 also that Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So you have to get God's pruning. All right. So God disciplines those that he loves. Now, that's not always what we want to hear. In Revelation 3.19, it just says that those whom I rebuke and those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son delights him. In Deuteronomy 8. Verse 5 and 6, and I can give you my notes too if you want them later. It says, Know then 
in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commandments of the Lord your God, walking in obedience and revering him. I'll give you another one. Hebrews 12:10-11. It just says, They disciplined us for a while while they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces the harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So remember we were talking about production? We're producing and growing, being uh, able to bear fruit. Well, there's another idea of it. A harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So my question for you today is, how are you handling God's burning? The way in which you handle God's shaping reveals what's in your heart. Becomes a heart issue, right? Sometimes we don't like the way God wants to grow us and train us and teach us things. We're like, God, but we're doing things that we thought were according to your plans. And he might be saying, yeah, but you still got to grow. I still have to shape and mold you. I still got to cut some things out. I like this quote by Dave Furman. It just says that your circumstances don't create what's in your heart. Your situation is simply the stage on which the heart's condition is revealed. Our biggest problem isn't outside of us, but inside our own heart. So your circumstances don't create what's in your heart. Your situation simply is the stage on which the heart's condition is revealed. Think about that for a bit. That God would help us in our circumstances, help us in our trials, help us in his pruning to be and remain in him, to abide in him, to be connected in him. I like that phrase, in him, right? Bearing fruit, again, it requires you to be connected to who? Jesus, the ultimate source. You can't bear fruit alone. That's one thing that is very clear, is that all of this stuff that you're doing, if God isn't in it, you're not bearing fruit. That's why he has to prune, and that's why he has to cut away the stuff that sometimes feels like God, but it's really us. Or sometimes it is God, but like I said, later on, he's got to work it out. He's like, I'm doing some stuff with that, that you're not going to see it right now, but you're going to see it later. If you think about the gardening metaphor in general, when you plant something, do you get a tree the next day? No. Does our society work that way that you should get a tree the next day? Yes. We have a smartphone. We've got all kinds of stuff. We have Twitter. I want to know now. I need it right now. I don't even need to go to the grocery store anymore. I can get Amazon to deliver it to me. It's all now, 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 now. I need immediate results. I'm a millennial, so all millennials want everything right now. We don't want to wait for anything. You want to give me a promotion? I just started. Great. Now. I want it. I want it. That's just how our culture is, especially people my age. We don't necessarily, we know we need to work hard, but sometimes we're like, well, we're, we've got it already, right? These things I'm doing, doesn't that make me worthy of more? But again, we can't bear fruit by ourselves. Again, abide. What does that word abide mean? It feels like an old word, right? But really it just means to remain or stay around. The remaining is the evidence that salvation has already taken place. So you're not saved by doing stuff, but by you remaining, that shows that God's saved you. That shows it's, it's the evidence that salvation takes place. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it just says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So again, the idea of remaining is not that you're doing stuff to get God's love. That if you're not connected already to the source, you're not bearing fruit. You can't bear fruit by yourself. Can't do it. Abiding, what is it? It's trusting in Jesus. It's fellowship, remaining in the fellowship with Jesus. 
It's connecting to Jesus so that all that God is for us in him is flowing like a life-giving sap in our lives. Okay? Again, I like what Piper says. Abiding is believing, trusting, savoring, resting, and receiving in Jesus. Colossians 2.6. This is a great verse because it just says that, Therefore you received the Lord... The, Receive Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith that you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Again, again, walk, often symbolizing one's daily movement or conduct. Walking in him is to live a life patterned after his. But we can't do that on our own. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we want to say, well, if I just do this and I just do that, God, you'll be pleased. But we need God's help to do it. And that's where salvation comes from. That's where his pruning comes into play, right? Because if we were to just do it all ourselves, we would never prune ourselves. If you could lose weight or get fit by proxy, meaning someone else could do it for you, you would. I know I would. Sometimes I don't want to go to the gym, but it's what I have to do to train my body. I have to eat well so that I can stay in good health. Because with my condition, they say that I may not live past 70, but I have to trust God in whatever that means. But I can do my part in it, right? But i gotta, I got to continue to do what I can and let God do the rest. So if God has saved you, he'll keep you. So some are thinking, well, well then how do I know if I'm, which branch I am? But John 10, 27 just says, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So again, remember how we talked about Jesus is the vine and my Father is the vine dresser? Again, showing that connection. If God has saved you, he's going to keep you. If God saved you, he's going to keep you and he's going to continue to prune you. And that your prayer is that, God, would you prune me and use me and help me to see what you're doing. Maybe not fully see it, but understand that you're doing something. And I don't get it. But I know that you're pruning me because it's a part of my growth. It's a part of me looking more and more like Jesus. It's a part of shaping me to become more and more like God, like Jesus, his son. Okay, and then the last piece, and then we'll, we'll be out of here in a few minutes, is how is this connected to prayer? All right? So we had talked about that if anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, right? And those branches are gathered. Those are the wheat and the weeds that I was talking about earlier. But then it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you abide in him and his word, there's a relation there to prayer. In John 8, Jesus says that if you abide in my words, you're truly my disciples. There's a connection here between remaining in God, remaining in him, which he does the work, and is connecting us, right? To us being saturated by the word, that something unique happens for our prayer life. That sticking with Jesus and being connected to the word, because he is the Logos, he is the word, the living word, that does something for our prayer life. I like what John MacArthur says. It just says that true believers obey the Lord's commands, submitting to his words. Because of their commitment to God's word, they are, they are devoted to his will. Thus their prayers are fruitful, which puts God's glory on display when he answers. God gets the glory when you put forth, you, give, you pray, 
things that are in his will. But you can only do that if you're connected to the source and in his word. God answers prayers and shows that he gets glory, but you can only do that only happens when we're connected to the source, who is Jesus, and we're connected to his word. It gives us a level of discernment. Now, not always, right? But it gives us a level of discernment to what to pray for. And I don't know if it happens all the time, but the scripture is clear that if you abide in me and my words, ask whatever you wish. Now, that has to mean something, and it will be done for you. Now, not whatever you wish, right? Because we know that if you ask just for a a nice car or you want to, you know, something else, yeah, a Lamborghini, or you want a big house, or you want... You want all your debt paid, or you want all these things. Now, God may do those things, but that is not quite what I think he's saying here. But that somehow being connected, that we are able to discern the will of God, that he's able to help us to discern his will and pray the things that he'd ask and want us to pray. And then he gets the glory when he answers them. My final thoughts is that God gets glory when, he, when we bear fruit. So not only is he pruning you to bear fruit, but that he then gets the glory. Do you ever think about how far you've come? Do you ever stop and really think? Even just this year, we're already in November, how far God has brought you from January until now, or even your entire life. The things that God has spared and saved you from. We've seen death and all things happen this week, but God still brought you here. There's been power outages and there has been fires, but God still brought you here. We've lost people around us, but God has still kept you here. How are you using all of that to his glory? How are you being a light in a world that needs it? He wants us to take on his joy and his love that we would be so fruitful that we show that he is the supreme and all in all. That he is our everything. That he's growing us for his good and for our good. So that is in John 15:11. I didn't give you the whole thing, but it just says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants you to be full of joy, even as he's burning you. Now, those things don't always go together. But my prayer is that God will help you be joyful as he continues to work on you. Know that sometimes if he's saying, this is not for right now, that you be patient, because he's doing something. He's doing something with whatever that is. That little thing that you've got, he's, he's looking to grow it, but not right now. He's cutting away that stuff that we know is just not good for us. He's teaching you lessons each and every day. So my prayer is that, Ephesians 3.19, is that to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Continue it on to completion. He who called you is faithful. You know what? He'll surely do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. couple things that Seneca mentioned is God is weeding out the wheat and the weeds. Branches that bear fruit are genuine believers. Pruning provides more growth. To bear fruit means to grow in character. God disciplines those, those he loves. Abiding is staying in Jesus, being connected. Jesus. One of the verses she mentioned, she mentioned several, but John 10, 27, sheep hear his voice. 
I saw an individual this week, and one of the things as we were talking, he was saying that what's been happening with some of the wildfires, the fires, that they weren't supposed to destroy all the things that they're destroying, and that the temperature for fires normally reach 1,800 degrees, but these have been reaching 2,100 degrees Fahrenheit. And he says one of the problems is that some individuals who say that they don't want the brushes burned, that it's been allowing a lot of brush to gather. The beetle posts the certain beetles to eat the trees, and there's a lot of dead trees around. Things are not being forested. And so what's happening, rather than things going through a process, it's building up, and what's happening when fire catches, it's ravaging areas and going much further than it should. If things are growing in your life and it's not being pruned, it's going to destroy you if you don't allow God to do the work that needs to be done. Pruning has to take place. Pruning is necessary for healthy growth. Living things that lie around that's dead will cause major problems in your life. Allow God to do the pruning. It's not pleasant, as she said, when it happens, but it's necessary for healthy growth. Stand to your feet, please. Remember the message that she preached. To be a Christian, you've got to be pruned. Pruning is necessary. When God prunes you, it's a good thing because you know that he has something better in store. We honor you today, God, and we thank you for allowing us to hear the word of God. We pray that the branches that are hanging low, those things that are dying, that God, you will prune them away. We thank you for the process that you have put into place. May this message, Lord, as it has really hit home. It help us to know that we are being pruned because of your love for us and the fact that you have the best in mind and in store for your people. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you later this week. God bless you.